Well, hello, everyone, and we are finishing the book, the letter of Philippians. And so please pray with me. Father, thank you for this wonderful letter that Paul wrote to this church that we can so easily apply to our life. And this last chapter is so personal. Lord, may, we, may our hearts be ready to receive. Lord, I just pray for everybody listening that, that they will... Well, they, they will really have a desire to want to know you and the power of your resurrection. Father, that has been so instrumental. Paul has been teaching us that that is where our strength really lies. And so, Father, may we comprehend, may we really truly desire to want to hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we start this last chapter, just a reminder that Paul is still under house arrest. He was there toward the end of the book of Acts. He had lost his freedom, never to have that kind of freedom again, not to have the kind of freedom he was used to. And then he moved into a house arrest, which was not as bad as being in some kind of dungeon or inner cell um, jail, but he still was under house arrest, had a guard, was not free to come and go. And it was during this time that he wrote some of his letters. And we, we've done Ephesians, and that was one of them. And now Philippians is the other one. And he loved the church. He loved the churches that he started. He loved the church, period, the body of Christ. But the individual churches that he, that he himself and his team started, he always had just a longing, a love in his heart for those people. And so now as he comes to the end of his letter, he starts the fourth chapter by saying, Therefore... Now, of course, we always go back to chapter 3 because what what is he saying? Therefore, what did we learn last week that's so important as we move on to this chapter? But before we go into that, look how how he how he greet how he not greets them because he's already greeted them, but but look what he calls them. He calls them as he's winding up his letter, he calls them my brothers. You know, we're we're a family. You whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. I mean, just those words in between his teaching, he just had to reiterate to them that you're my brothers. I love you and I long, I long to see you, to to talk to you, to be a part of what's happening. You're my joy and my crown. I did a little checking on that. And what would Paul mean, being that he's talking to Gentiles and, you know, probably many Greeks? And and what I found out was really quite interesting, that that crown was used in the ancient Greece um, for athletes who would run their race. And it was, it was such a, a symbol of achievement. It was not like the crown that you put on royalty's head like a king. No, this was a crown that they would put on athletes who had won the, won the race, and it was their crowning achievement. And the more I thought about that, I thought, how precious was that. He called these people, this church, this particular church, he called them, you're my joy and my crown. I, I, I would dare say that, that that's what Paul thought of them. It, it was like, it was such a, this church was such an achievement. I mean, he suffered a lot to get the good news, the gospel, to these, to these people, to the Gentiles, and then to watch these churches take root and take hold. And then for Paul to hear how wonderful this church is doing, it was kind of like, you're my achievement. Um, it was worth it all. And I, I'm pretty sure that that's what he meant here. And he wanted them to know how special they were, that he was so grateful for, for their growth and their maturity. And, and so, therefore, 
And then after he said those words, therefore that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. So back to chapter 3, this is what the therefore is about. So for them to be able to stand firm, looks to me that how to really stand firm in the Lord, you need to go back and see in chapter 3. And he started the chapter by, by a warning. He, he warned them. How do you stand firm? That you're aware that trouble could come, that there's dangerous things around the corner. And, you know, we talked about warnings. We need warning signs so that we don't get surprised and then we're caught off guard. And, and so he warned them. He said, watch out. He said, rejoice in the Lord. Make sure your joy is in the Lord, that your eyes are on the Lord. That is your safeguard. When you put your eyes on the Lord, you will not fall to yourself. You will find the strength and the courage that you need to get through life. And he says, I'm just warning you, life is tough. And so I'm warning you that you need to rejoice in the Lord. Keep your eyes on him. And then he also t kind of warned them about that there's always going to be outside influences and sometimes even inside influences that we have to always be mindful of, that there will be people that, that will try to kind of get us to see a different way or... or we, he says, I want you to be rejoicing in the Lord. I want your eyes on him because when someone comes in and it all sounds well and good, you know, like maybe they're going to influence you to put more confidence in the flesh, in yourself, instead of Jesus. Um, maybe, maybe you'll be tempted. Maybe you'll be tempted to get sidetracked and think that your own credentials, that your own self-achievements are, are what will be pleasing to the Lord. And, and it's so easy for the world to sidetrack us. And it's so easy for even people who are, uh, who are so good religious-wise. that And then we might feel a little intimidated, and so we just buy what they're saying, hook, line, and sinker. And, and Paul is saying, no, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. I want your joy in the Lord. I want you fixed on the Lord, and so that you are not easily swayed by either out, outside or inside influence trying to get you off course because you need no one or nothing but Jesus for your salvation and and it again it's just so easy to be tempted we we all love that that feeling of I've achieved this not not did this I accomplished this and he said don't be tempted because remember what he said I did that I Paul says I did that I thought I had to really be I had to achieve in the religious realm. I had to I had to have people's opinion and he said I was I was wrong. In fact, everything that I thought I needed to be great I didn't. In fact, he said he called it rubbish. You know, not only was rubbish during that day worthless. It was offensive. So he used a very powerful word to get them to see that there's no way that we can save ourselves, become righteous in and of ourselves, even be good in and of ourselves. Because our ultimate achievement is to please our God, the one who was willing to save us despite who we were. He was willing to pour out grace and mercy and then Paul went on to say, what I want more than anything, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And I don't have to go into that. Last week, we really talked about what it means to know him, not historical facts or all so many details, and but to know him intimately, that that you're conversing with him throughout your day because you know he's a part of you. And just to get into that close relationship, that close walk with him, 
And then he said, in the power of the resurrection. I want that kind of power. What, what is the power of the resurrection? Well, of course, we logically think, well, the power that took Jesus, who was dead and now has made him alive, that kind of power we have. So what should that look like on us? That we don't shrivel up, that we don't step back, that we see that the power of the resurrection is I can look in the mirror and I can know how lost I was. And now, because of the power of the resurrection and the salvation and the sacrifice that Jesus is offering us, and the fact that that sacrifice was accepted by the Father, I can be changed. I can go from lost to found. I can go from hell to heaven. I can go from hopelessness to, to hope. And, and I can be transformed I can change. The old can be gone. I can see less and less of that old nature and see more and more of the nature of Christ coming into my life and changing me, not making the old me better, but just absolutely transforming me and giving me a whole new life. I'm born again. And you could tell he was excited about that. And then he said, I want to take hold of God the way Jesus did. And we, we said, I would take hold of God. Take hold. I want to take hold of God's will and allow him to work his will in my life just the way Jesus let God the Father work his will in Jesus so that he was to be the sacrifice. I think that is so beautiful, and I don't want to forget that. I want to take hold of God the way Jesus took hold of God. I want to take hold and be willing to let God have his way with me for his purpose, just like Jesus let God the Father have his way in, in Jesus, and Jesus fulfilled his purpose for all of us. And then finally, he talked about one thing I don't do, and if anybody could, if Paul hadn't learned this himself, if he wasn't able through the power of the Spirit to forgive himself. And if he constantly was looking back, saying, look what I did. Look what I did to the Christians who I thought were just crazy. He said, look what I was doing. And he would he would felt so guilty. And if he didn't learn how to let Jesus take his guilt. And he said, that's why one thing I do is I forget the past. I, I want to press on. I want to strain for the goal, which is ahead. I want to keep going in that direction because I want the prize the prize of seeing Jesus. I'm willing to work at it. I'm, more, I'm willing to, to use those words like strain and press on because it would be so easy to look back and think, oh, oh, I'm so worthless and I can't possibly be used to the Lord. He says, no, that's under the blood. The Lord has cast my sins as far as the east is from the west. So has he removed them. And so he says, I am moving forward. I'm straining. I know it's hard. I'm going to press on, but I want that prize. And then he said this phrase, my citizenship is not here. My citizenship is in heaven. And I am truly longing. I, I can't wait to see my Savior. You can just hear him say that. And then he ends that chapter by saying, oh, is heaven going to be wonderful? In fact, I am going to get rid of this earthly body, and I will be transformed completely then. I mean, we are Ever since our salvation, we are, we are a little bit being transformed on the inside. And Paul says, and the, the day is going to come that the complete transformation, even the outside, will be transformed. He says, and I will take on the body like Jesus. I will take on 
his glorious body. And I will get rid of my lowly body. What a what an ending of hope. And that's why Paul starts the finishing part of his letter with, therefore, because of all that, we can stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm. And then he moves on and, and talks about a, a little problem, and maybe not so little. I mean, you get two women who are... Who are actually wonderful, godly servants. I mean, Paul describes them. He, he knows that these are women that he, he personally knows, and he knows how hard they work in the church. And what an example, again, to don't ever think you can cruise and that you, you don't have to work at this because self and our, the enemy of our soul is just lurking to try to make us ineffective for God's kingdom. And it doesn't take much when self gets back on the throne. And here we've got two women that somehow, somehow they let their own well, they, they let their differences, they, they probably were disagreeing on something, and they let those disagreements get to be more powerful or bigger than what they had together in the Lord. And so right away you start to see this, this division. And Paul says in verse 2, I plead. I mean, this this is, I mean, he has given such a great letter of encouragement and, and instruction and warning and that. But then he says, I heard, I heard about these two women. I plead with Eudea and I plead with Sinichi to agree with each other in the Lord. Come on, ladies. He said, come on, ladies. Get back to see what you both have in common. And then, then that will overtake your differences. Yes, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow. You know, yoke fellow, loyal yoke fellow is, is probably somebody who worked with these ladies very closely, a companion of these ladies, sharing in their ministry, who knows them so well. And so Paul is kind of addressing that person, saying, um, on, you know, be the instrument. I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And he says that, and he, what an honor. Let's Let's remember that our names as believers, our names are in the book of life. And I think he put that in there for a reason. Like, come on, ladies. Don't let anything deter how wonderful it is that, that as believers, our names are in the book of life. Is there really something so picky? Is there anything? Is there something so important that you have to get into this disagreement and you know, I've told this story, but in case somebody is listening for the first time, I remember going to a church that we'd been at many times to sing in wonderful church, and one particular Sunday we went, and it was a very small crowd, and like half the church only, and, and the minister came up and said, did you notice our church is so different? And I said, well, we did. And he says, well, I'm almost embarrassed to tell you what happened. We had two ladies who got into a disagreement about where the offering plate should be. And I know that just, I can't help but snicker. I mean, but it doesn't take much when, when you know, when we gals, if we get headstrong, and that's why we've got to make sure that we always rejoice in the Lord, that we keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. Because, you know, in him is unity. In him, we have, we have the most wonderful, wonderful thing in common, and that is our salvation and the cross of Christ. And, and, and these two ladies, they disagreed. They disagreed on where to put the offering plate, and one thing led to another. And, of course, the church started taking sides, and, 
And before you knew it, half the church left and went someplace else or started a new place. I don't know. But, I mean, it's just such a sad story that, you know, got out of hand. But how quickly that can do that. And I think it's really important that we see that, oh, this is just a little minor thing. You know, we have a little minor disagreement. That we don't let that take root because a little minor disagreement can turn into disaster. And that's what Paul is trying to prevent here. And then he, verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, I don't know if he just kind of talked about those two ladies in verse 2 and 3 and then moved on, or I have a feeling that he is kind of, because this is life and this is human nature sometime, and it happens, all, it happens everywhere. It happens to the best of people when self gets in the way. And so he repeats. I mean, he, he said this before in another part of his letter, and he said it, you know, uh, he's saying it in this part of the letter. He says, I want to make sure that your joy, that you see it's, an, and you know, yes, there's going to be disagreements, not always going to be happy, going to have to talk it through, but always together rejoice in the Lord, always. Rejoice in the Lord always. That means, that's why I think it is a continuation of verse 2 and 3, because he's saying, this is how you do it. This is how you take differences of opinion, and instead of getting headstrong and stubborn, coming together and rejoice in the Lord always, in, in good times and in tough times, when we're all in agreement and when we're not. I will say it again. He said the key is rejoice. From what I couldn't help but see was that he is pretty much saying that joy in the Lord is the cure for all differences and discord. I mean, you, then you're pliable and you're, you're willing to let the Holy Spirit because we know that our God is a God of unity and the Holy Spirit in us will not separate, but it will, come, will make us come together. We'll come, we'll find that there's a, a happy denominator, a common denominator. When we, when we then focus back on the Lord and we're starting to open up our ears instead of just self to the Holy Spirit, so I, I, I dare say it. I, I believe because he says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'm going to say it. Rejoice. That is, joy is the cure to all differences and discord. Joy, and what do we know? Joy is not a, a thing. It's not even an emotion. Joy is a person. Jesus says, I'm your joy, and your joy will be complete. So come together and find that, yes, joy is secure. And, and it's not just a little sunny disposition or a positive mental attitude. No, it's so much more than just a sunny, uh, um, uh, you know, just a sunny disposition or a positive attitude. I mean, it's so much deeper than that. I think joy in the Lord is a confidence that he is in control and he can unify, even in our greatest differences. Rejoice in the Lord always. See, these absolute, all-inclusive words just jump out at me. That means there is no way you can come up with your yeah, but, except for. No, there's no excuse. You rejoice in the Lord, ladies, or whatever, family, or what. And then he says, rejoice, capital. Uh, capital letter, rejoice, and then exclamation point. Come on, rejoice. Let your gentleness 
be evident to all. Let your gentleness. Now, gentleness is the eighth fruit of the Spirit. And remember, it's not fruits of the Spirit. How can we understand the fruit of gentleness? How can we have the Holy Spirit producing gentleness in us? It's because we know what love is, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. We need all those seven to get to the eighth one. Gentleness is that quiet strength. It's that confidence in the Lord. And you don't have to fight. You don't have to quarrel. Because you believe, you have so much confidence confidence that God is so on top of this. And he can unify. Let your gentleness be evident to all. That's another all-inclusive word. Everybody, no excuses, no exceptions. Let your gentleness be evident. Let the Holy Spirit and that fruit of gentleness, that silent strength, that complete confidence in your God, may that be evident to all. And you can just almost feel, you just relax. And you let the unconditional love and the the joy and then the peace and the, the beautiful patience as you wait on the Lord. And then you find that you put yourself aside because that's what kindness really is towards someone else. And then you move into goodness because you know what? God's goodness isn't always the same definition as of my goodness that I'm getting my way. That, But by now, I'm learning that God's up to something. And if he says it's good, then, I mean, and then you just, the Spirit wants to produce this faith in you, this trust. And that's why then it leads to that gentleness, that quiet strength, that complete confidence that God's at work. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. And that, to me, can mean two things. The Lord is near, and this is what I want to believe is the prominent, the Lord is near. Remember, you're not handling difficult situations and people alone. The Lord is near, so near, he lives inside of you. All you have to do is ask him to help you. To rekindle, help you remember what you have learned that the Holy Spirit will activate and you will then have the fruit of the Spirit instead of the fruit itself. That's how near he is to help you. Split second. Instead of going your way, you go his. The Lord's near to help you do that. Or it's kind of a reminder. In case you forget, he's right here and he can see all and he can hear all and he certainly can see that attitude and he can see that motive and he can see, you know, that selfishness. And so either way you want to look at it, I think it sit up and take notice. The Lord is near. Do not. See, that is a command. Do not be anxious about anything. See, those are those all-inclusive words again. No room for except or but. Do not be anxious. Another word for anxious is worry. And I, I know many people think that it's impossible not to worry. That it's just an automatic response. And you are right. It is an automatic human response. However, Jesus has told us, do not worry about your life. Look at the lilies of the field. Look how, how careful I care for the sparrows. How much more you are worth it to me than a sparrow. So if I care for them, I will care for you. Don't worry. Don't get all uptight. Don't get anxious. Worry, in other words, this helps me. 
Worry really is saying you don't really believe God is able. It's unbelief. When you get yourself into such a state, you have pushed God out. Everything looks hopeless. Everything is doomed. You just can sense the overwhelming. Instead of the power of the resurrection, you're letting the world overwhelm you. And all your human nature overwhelm you. Worry is unbelief. Now, not one of you listening, and not myself, not one of us want to say that we don't believe that God is able. Sometimes we need it that direct so that we start thinking, I have got to stop this worrying. Now, you're going to see later in the chapter that Paul says, of course, you're, you're going to be in situations where the tendency is to worry and to kind of ease God right out. And you're looking at the hopeless thing and there's no light at the end of the tunnel and I might throw in the towel and not give up. That's life. But instead of all that give up kind of thing, what about changing it to the word concern? The word concern he uses, so that's a word that is obviously permissible. You could be concerned, but the difference between worry and concern is that worry, you're trying to handle it, and concern is when you've surrendered it to the Lord and you're letting him handle it. You're still concerned about the situation, but your demeanor and, and your the way you're handling it, and, and instead of being in a fit, and out of control, and scared to death, and give up. You're concerned, but you're letting the Lord handle it. And there is a world of difference there. When you surrender the situation over to the Lord, it might not change just like that, but you will. Instead of worrying, you surrender it to the Lord and the concern can be there, but you watch all the things that worry does to you. It, it doesn't do it to you when you have surrendered it to the Lord and you have that quiet strength and that confidence that God is up to something. So Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. This is how you turn your worry to concern. You go to the Lord. And the way Paul says it, I think it's very important that we see that prayer and petition are two different things, or he wouldn't have split it up. He said, in everything by prayer and petition. Prayer is simply connecting your spirit to the Holy Spirit because the tendency when you want to handle a situation yourself, you disconnect from the spirit and you just start listening to your own self. So prayer has got to be a reminder I need to reconnect with the Holy Spirit. That's my power source. That's who God gave me as a gift at my salvation. He gave me himself to now help me. Now, I want to listen to him. So prayer is simply connecting your spirit to the Holy Spirit where it needs to stay. That's why Paul says we should never cease praying. We should never disconnect from the Holy Spirit. And I think this is why we see Paul splitting the words so that we see there's such a difference. Prayer is connecting to God's spirit so you are now are revitalized. You, you are going to be listening to his voice. You're going to feel that strength that you need. Because remember, they that wait on the Lord find that their strength is renewed. They're able to mount up. You try handling the situation and your strength, your, your strength will be zapped quicker than you can, well, quicker than you can even think. So, 
make sure that the Holy Spirit and your spirit are connected. Paul says, this is how, this is how you do it. Don't be anxious, but pray. Get connected to the spirit and, and petition. See, now, now you give your specific request. But see, now you've got the right attitude. You've got, the, you've got yourself in the right place because now the Holy Spirit is feeding you. So you're asking for a specific request, but you're also relinquishing to God's perfect will. You're surrendering this circumstance because you've got that quiet confidence that God is up to something through it all. Don't you remember that song, Through It All, Through It All? I've learned. It's another point that Paul's going to make later as he closes this letter. All of this is a learning project. You, you have to learn. If you want to walk with the Lord, if you want to live Christ-like, if you want the fruit of his spirit coming out of you, you God, work at it. And you've got to not ever disconnect so that self then can take over. This is a constant work. Because we want to be listening to him. We want to be able to surrender and trust his will instead of shake our fist at him when it doesn't go our way and we think we, he didn't answer. Paul says, don't worry. Go to the Lord. Go to the Lord and reconnect with the Spirit and then make your request known. And you make that petition known already with thanksgiving, not even knowing for one second how it's going to turn out. And you say, well, how can I be thankful when I don't even know how it's going to turn out? Because no matter how it turns out, when you've entrusted to God's perfect will, It will be the way it should be. And you're thankful that God's got his hand in it, even if you don't like it or even understand it. Because you know, like last week, you know and love him so much that you trust what he's doing. So with prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, thank you, Lord, that I can come to you. Thank you, Lord, that I don't have to handle this on my own. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is going to keep feeding me what I have learned. That I can still stand firm and trust you even when I don't understand it. Stand firm in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Keep your eyes fixed on the Lord. Present your request to God. Be thankful that he's real and that he's there and he's listening and he hears you. And he will answer every prayer. It might be yes, but it also might be no, and it might be wait, but he will answer. And he says, this is what will happen when you choose not to worry and you decide to turn it over and connect with God's spirit, lay your petitions before him with thanksgiving because you're just so grateful that he's listening and he knows what's best. He said, then the peace of God the peace, that beautiful fruit that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in us that we could never produce on our own during difficult circumstances. But he said, it will be there if you hand it over, if you surrender, if you trust that God is up to something, if you've learned, if you've learned because you, you've learned to depend on his word, what he's taught you, what his promises are, if you've learned that, he said, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. I mean, 
the reason it transcends all understanding is because you're going to look at yourself handling this situation and you're going to watch your worry go away and you're going to watch peace take over and a quiet confidence and strength take over and you're going to say this doesn't make sense I should be I should be a mess but instead Paul says you are able to stand firm and watch this, the peace of God guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The mind of a Christian is so important. The mind of a Christian in whatever goes through our mind in we have a split second to decide whether we're going to let self take over that thought that came into our mind and, and then take it for a ride, which never is the right destination. Or you could take that thought that's coming into your mind and you can bring it to the Lord. So much of our spiritual growth and our maturity and the direction that we are to continue to go in all depends on what we do with what's in our mind. And he says that when you connect with God's spirit and you have surrendered and you have trusted God's will in your life and you are letting him have free will in whatever I answer because you know his will is better than yours. You watch that guard your heart from going in a direction that will defeat you. But instead you will find the strength and the peace and then he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true. So he continues on that mind. He says, it's up to you. Now, we can't help but that a thought goes into our mind because we live in the world, kind, the kind of world we're living in. We can't help it. So, you know, we hear something, we see something, and all of a sudden a thought goes through our mind. But he says, finally, brothers. It's almost like you can hear Paul say, Check to see if that thought is of the Lord or if it's of your own self or the enemy. Or is this thought going to be good for you? Is it going to produce good results or is it going to produce bad? Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's the kind of things that you should be thinking about. Get rid of the things that are going to take you down or people down or get rid of it. It's not going to do the cause of Christ or the kingdom of God any good. Check whatever comes into your mind. And the only, the only kinds of things we should let stay in our mind are the things of the Lord, things that are true and noble and right and pure, lovely, admirable, that are excellent and praiseworthy. Think about those things. Because remember, what's in your mind is what comes out of you. I always kind of look at it this way. It goes in my mind, and I can decide whether it's going to stay in my mind and create havoc, or if I'm going to introduce it to my heart where the Holy Spirit dwells with my spirit. But whatever is in us will come out of us. And it is up to us. That's why Paul in verse 9 says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. A reminder, Paul is not being cocky. He's not saying I'm perfect. I mean, we saw that last week. 
I mean, he said, I haven't attained everything. I'm on this whole growth thing. I'm still straining and pressing on in the forward direction. I'm learning more every day. I'm, the more I study today, I put into practice today. Tomorrow, I expect to study, and whatever I learn tomorrow, I'll put it into practice and know that much more. The next day, and you know what I'm trying to say, every day that we study, we get to know the Lord better, and then he starts taking over more of us, and we see every day we should be seeing less and less of ourself and more and more of the character of Christ. Paul said that many times when he was reading, when he was writing to the people of Corinth, and he said something similar. But he said, "I tell you to imitate me because I'm imitating Christ." So that's why Paul had the confidence to say, "Whatever you've learned or received or heard, or even seen in me, put it into practice." Because I have worked hard to make sure that my life imitates Christ. So that's what you see in me. See, shouldn't that be a goal of ours too? That we want our children or our grandchildren or neighbors or friends or whatever, that we love Jesus so much that we take on his character and that, that they can look at us because we are imitating Jesus. And their lives can be affected by what they are seeing or hearing or learning from us. Not that we're perfect, but that we are working at imitating Christ. Because we are in agreement that people are watching. And are we imitating Christ so much that we would dare let them Act like us. Because we are so working out having our lives be like Christ himself. And the God of peace will be with you. If you put into practice what you've learned, Paul is saying, I have taught you. You watched me. You heard me. You saw my lifestyle. And he says, when you act accordingly, the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. See, now he uses the word concern. At first when I read that, I thought maybe he was reprimanding them for not caring and now all of a sudden they're caring, but he goes on to explain. Indeed, you have been concerned. That concern never left them. But he says, but you had no opportunity to show it. There was no way you, maybe they didn't even know where he was. And then when they did know, he was in prison and there was no way to get things to him. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned. I appreciate this from Paul. You know, when he, after three days being blind and, and after his conversion, and he saw the light, and he was saved, did he know everything? Did he just get up and have all the characteristics that we know of him now? No. There were years. There were years of learning and growing and experiencing and surrendering. I mean, when he wrote to the people of Rome, I mean, he even admitted, he says, oh my goodness, sometimes I don't do what I should do. And sometimes I do do what I shouldn't do. And then he says, who can deliver me from this problem? Like, who can deliver me from my own self? 
who can deliver me from me. And he says, thanks be to God, there's the Lord Jesus who can help me get rid of me. But he had to learn that. He said, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I think what Paul is saying here, I, I, our tendency is to think always of, of material things. And that's true. There was sometimes he probably had plenty, and then there was times he didn't have much. I also think that it can be a, a mental thing where, you know, sometimes everybody was responding, and, and oh, the cause of Christ was going so good, and then I went into towns, and all I got, all I got was attacked, and they made me feel so small, and they had no respect for me or the gospel. So I think that when he says, I've learned, I've been in so many different kind of situations, some lowly, not so good, but some where it's been plenty, plenty good. And then he says this verse, I have learned the secret I've learned the secret of being content in any and every. See, those are all-inclusive. No room for except force. We know from studying Acts, and we know that Paul physically went through some terrible sufferings. He said, I've learned the secret to be content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Boy, we love that verse, don't we? And Paul put it in those all-inclusive words because in your specific time, I'll, I'm just going to give you an example. I use this verse all the time when I'm in situations that I don't think I'm going to be able to do. When I feel like my emotions are, are going to take over and I'm not going to be able to accomplish it in victory. And I go to this verse. And Paul said, you have to learn this. You have to learn that in whatever circumstance that you can be content because God will supply. He will not call you to do something for him without supplying what you need. I can do everything through him. One of the times that sticks out in my mind is I remember when our son Chad and when he was marrying Jody 23 years ago. I remember that when they were planning their wedding, Chad said to me, he says, I hope you don't take offense in this, but I just want you to be my mom that day. So in other words, I'm not going to ask you to sing. I thought, wonderful. That suits me just fine. As they got nearer to the wedding, Chad said, I still want you to just be my mom, but how about just one song? And I said, okay, I'll, I'll sing one song. It was about a month, three weeks before the wedding. Jet says, you know, I, we just decided and we really don't want anybody else. Will you be my mom? But will you also be our singer? And that's when I started to panic. Because I knew that I would have to sing at the beginning, at the middle, and then at the end. That means at my son's wedding, when a mother is so emotional, I'm going to have to keep it together the whole time. 
and I'm going to have to sing the Lord's Prayer, and I'm going to have to hit that note at the end and nail it. I don't know. I start to worry. I don't think I can do this. And then the Holy Spirit said, be anxious for nothing, pray about everything, connect with me, lay your request before the Lord with thanksgiving. He's near. He's going to help you. You can do this. You can sing at your son's wedding through Christ who will give you the strength. Not you. No, you can't. You'll be emotional mess. But you can do it through Christ who will give you the strength. Oh, I watched it happen and I nailed the Lord's Prayer. And I stand in me I stand amazed and yet why should I? Paul says, You can learn that whatever situation you're in, you can be content because he will supply. And you can do everything through him. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you send me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credit to your account. I think what Paul is saying, I don't really need anything now. I just want to say thank you. I just want to thank you for being there. For allowing the Lord to use you to help me so that the kingdom of God can be can be grasped in so many nations that the gospel of Christ can go forth. Thank you. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. I went over that verse and went over that verse, and those are such nice words, aren't they? What a what a wonderful way to express his thankfulness by saying those gifts that Aphrodite gave me from you, they were a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice that's pleasing to God. Remember in the Old Testament when Israelites had to sacrifice a lamb? It, there was always a cost. Sacrifice, when you sacrifice, there's a cost. And what Paul was saying, I know the gifts that you gave me, it cost you. Some of you are doing without so that I could have. But I want you to know that God sees and sacrifice, just like the lamb appeased for the sins of the people when they sacrificed and shed that lamb's blood. Just as Jesus sacrificed his life and shed his blood so that we could be under his blood. And we know that God accepted that sacrifice. Sometimes in our giving to think that, yes, it's going to cost us, but it can be looked upon as a fragrant offering, a fragrant sacrifice, acceptable sacrifice, and that God is pleased with it. And my God will meet all your needs 
according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And my God, don't you like the way Paul said that? It's so personal. He's saying, my God. But you can say that. I can say that. He's as personable to you and me as he is to Paul. He's my God. Who will. And what have we learned about will? When God says he will, it is for sure. I can count on it. He will meet all your needs. He will meet every need that you need to do God's will. I think sometimes we get, you know, our needs and our wants confused, and sometimes because we've been so spoiled, we almost think that what we want is our needs. But what can we count on that my God will meet my needs, the needs that I need to do God's will, to do God's purpose, to be who God wants me to be so I can be the light, so I can shine like a star in this dark world. And he will do that through his riches. Now I know he owns cattle on a thousand hills, but I think God's definition of riches is so far beyond material things. He meets our needs through his goodness, his wisdom, his grace, his glory. Then somehow that verse takes on a whole new meaning. My God will meet my needs so I can do what he expects, that I can do what his will is. And he will do it through his grace, his mercy, his glory, his wisdom, his definition of goodness. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. What a way to end a letter, isn't it? I mean, it is so selfless. Where does he want the Philippian church to keep their eyes? On Jesus. On God the Father. On God the Son. By using God the Spirit who lives inside of us. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. Greet all the saints for me in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me, they send their greetings too. All the saints send you greetings. So all the saints that, that I rub elbows with yet, from the people that I, that I write letters to and they write back to me or people that come and visit me. I want you to know that we're all in this together. We're all encouraging one another. So all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Isn't that something? Paul is saying, I'm even being used to affect Caesar's household because I am rubbing elbows in my prison state, in my house arrest state. Slaves and servants of Caesar himself are hearing the gospel and they're responding and saying yes to Jesus. Paul is not discouraged he is content even in this situation because he did not shut his eyes to let the Lord use him even in this circumstance. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. 
Amen. So be it. Father, thank you for this lesson. Thank you for this letter. Father, may we take it to heart. May we so desire to be transformed that, that our mind is controlled, that we think on things that are good and pure, that we desire to live righteously. Father, we know we can do it because you will give us what it takes. We can do everything through our Savior who will give us the strength. We know that you will supply. You will supply what we need to do your will, to be obedient to your instruction. Father, we are so grateful for this, and we give you glory and praise. May we end this study of Philippians the way Paul ended his letter. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with every one of our spirits. Amen.